Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another edition of the WNBA Looking at the Landscape. But this time, we have a guest for this episode from WNBA Fans Only. Please welcome Carson Hewley. Hey guys, really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. I'm a, definitely a huge fan of your content, and uh, I love where the NBA is at uh, right now. They are in their 25th season, and things are definitely looking up, so I'm glad that you guys are huge proponents of the WNBA as well, and uh, I'm excited to talk. This is really exciting for us to have you on. You are the first guest of uh, WNBA content that we have. We've been trying to search for one for a while. <laughs> Great. Honestly, let's just get right into it. We're just going to talk about all 12 teams in alphabetical order and starting with the Atlanta Dream. So, Carson, I will start with you on this one. The Dream have the fifth best record in the league, and Jalen and I put them at the bottom of our preseason power rankings. What has impressed you the most about the Atlanta Dream so far? Right. So, yeah, they're 4-2 right now, and uh, they're doing well. I think it's just a little bit of... I want to say the two-headed horseman, but there's there's three really in this pairing of of the dream. You've got Courtney Williams, Tiffany Hayes, um, and you got Carter as well. And those are three people that you're going to get double figures from every single night, and that's tough to stop. That's really tough to stop. Um, and especially Williams and Hayes because they're shooting at an incredibly high clip from the three-point line right now, and so they're huge threats not only. Um, Offensively, but I've been impressed with their defense as well. So, honestly, it's tough to stop a team when you've got, I think it's 19, 16, and 15 point scorers per game. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, the WNBA, some of their worst issues, um, I was just even watching the Las, Las Vegas Aces game yesterday. You've got some games that are down in the, you know, 50, 60 points sometimes by the time it gets to the fourth quarter, these low scoring games. And, Honestly, when you've got Williams, Hayes, and Carters, really every single night they're combining for almost 50 points. That's huge. You're going to win a lot of games in the WNBA. Um, and then it doesn't hurt to have Monique uh, Billings, too. She's uh, She's been doing pretty, pretty great this season, too. But uh, coming off the bench, that doesn't hurt at all. So, um, yeah, I like what I've seen so far out of the dream. And, yeah, they've impressed me as well. But I will like to see if they can kind of continue this into – um, deeper into the season. And Jalen and I really have talked about the improvement of this team from the beginning of the season up to this point, and Carson made a lot of great points. So, Jalen, because of this improvement in this four-game winning streak that they've had, who is one player out of the three that Carson mentioned has made the biggest impact during this four-game winning streak? I mean, out of Hayes, Williams, and Carter, I think Williams is probably the most impactful. I think she might have probably been the most consistent. Hayes is probably the one that's been kind of like up and down throughout the season. Um, I think it might be easier to lean towards Williams when we talk about um, her performance against New York most recently. That's definitely mm-hmm. stepping up on a big stage against a team that is going to, you know, be in the argument down the line as one of the, you know, one of the top uh, top teams as we get closer to the playoff time. But especially because of their talent, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I think really the most interesting thing about this team 
um, is just the fact that they lean on their guards so much. Like Carson explained it in a way where it's like you like it almost you'd almost wonder like who else do they really have to give them offensive production because of just so so much of an impact that those three have individually. That's why I kind of have to look at Monique Billing, um, Billings a lot. I think that Carson mentioned her briefly, but. I think her play is like extremely important because I I mentioned this in in my like blog article like mad recently but like the 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 recent play between like Tiana Hawkins and Elizabeth Williams has been like pretty underwhelming in the front court like to say the least over the last couple of games mm-hmm. and Billings has been the only person who's been consistent like in terms of her production on the floor, I think she's like averaging six and six, but like she's had double digit rebounds uh, a few times this season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or she's at le- at bare minimum out rebounded one, if not both of the other two that are in the front court starting for the dream. So I think that I don't want to, I think it's too soon to say like experimenting with Billings in the, in the front court as a starter is like something that should be on the brain. Like now it does seem a little soon, especially with the fact that they've been gaining a lot of momentum as of late, uh, winning the last four games. But I do think that it's something that might need to be floated out there a little bit, potentially, as something to keep in mind when it comes to Atlanta. But like you said beforehand, the, the trio of Hayes, Williams, and Carter is ridiculous. I think Williams is probably the best player. Um, she also tends to be on the floor the most. It almost seems like the production most of the time comes best when she's paired with another guard on the floor. Um, another one of those two on the floor. So I, I would have to lean to Williams, though. I think what we're talking about, improvement, like you mentioned, the three best players on this team, the three high scorers on this team, Courtney Williams, Tiffany Hayes, and Candy Carter. I mean, we look at this team one year ago, Candy Carter was out for a significant period of time due to injury, and then Tiffany Hayes wasn't even on the team last season as well. But Courtney Williams picking up pretty much right where she left off from last season as the team's leading scorer. There's a really high ceiling for this team after their 0-2 start. They've really performed well in their past four games, so I think the sky's the limit for the Atlanta Dream. Flipping the script and talking about the Chicago Sky, we talk about the Atlanta Dream with a 4-2 record. The Chicago Sky have an opposite record of 2-4. and Carson, I'll start with you on this one. Chicago's only won one game this season without Candace Parker. And I've mentioned many times on this podcast, the defensive effect of Candace Parker is like night and day for the Chicago Sky. With how many games that Parker has not played this season, how many games do you think this team will win without Candace Parker? Oof, that's that's going to be tough. I mean, the injury that Candace is facing right now, I think at first I didn't think it was severe as it was. And then on Instagram, she put a picture of her ankle up, and I was like, oh, this this is a little bit rough. And then you factor in the fact of she's not that young anymore, too. She's getting into her last years of being in the WNBA and uh, that rehab is, is tough. And not to mention, too, Candace kind of has her her um, schedule full, too, just while the commentating that she's been doing and everything like that, too. She's got her head in a few different places. And that's not to say that she's not completely dedicated to the Chicago Sky team. But mentally, that is that's a lot to be like, OK, I've been out now um, for, for quite a for a hot minute here and they've only won one game without me really tough to try and get back out there. So I don't know a definitive amount of games that they're, that they're going to be able to win without her, 
but um, it takes a lot, like a huge game out of Courtney Vandersloot to even be in the competition. And like Courtney's not really a scorer and for them to even be in, <laughs> in game, she has to score a lot and her role is to be the distributor. And uh, it's going to be really tough. I guess that's what I'm going to say to win without Candace Park. Cause I was really excited this year too to see her in a sky jersey. I know there's a lot of people, so probably some bitter, uh, you know, LA fans out there and whatnot that probably aren't as excited as me to see her in a, you know, Chicago sky jersey. But um, she looked really impressive too in her first game as well. And uh, it's been tough to not see her out on the court, but uh, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle without, without Parker in there. I think considering how high Jalen and I were on the Chicago sky with Candace Parker, it's definitely a change not to see her out on the floor, but we talked about the injury to Candace Parker. Let's also factor in the injury to Allie Quigley as well, who is one of their best shooters on the team. They also lead the league in turnovers. They're third in personal fouls. And then on defense, they've really struggled, like I mentioned, without Candace Parker. Jalen, just factoring in all of these issues, what has been their biggest issue out of the four that I've mentioned? I think Carson probably put it better than I could have phrased it. Like, honestly, Courtney Vanishloot having to be their primary scorer is like the biggest step away from what you know you're best at that I think I've seen in the WNBA so far this season from like in comparison from last year to this year. Her her being forced to be like this 25 point per game score as opposed to being the player that led the led the league in the uh, in assists last year and really has kind of done that relatively frequently in terms of being in that conversation it's like a completely different mix like I'm just looking at the LA game the other day and I'm like she led the team in and just in shot attempts with 18 like 18 shot attempts from Courtney Vanishloo like that's nuts like let's be honest guys like that's a little much like even for her and like okay this is where I think that the Allie Quigley injury comes into mind because another thing that you mentioned was the turnovers Courtney is Courtney is really that's gonna come with the territory because we both all three of us have probably watched her enough to be able to say that Courtney is interesting as a ball handler where she's gonna try some stuff so with that being the case we understand that the, that the turnovers are gonna be there but with Kalia Copper and Diamond the Shields having to kind of like play off the ball a lot more because they haven't Kalia Copper has probably handled the ball a lot more often than I may have assumed coming into the season that was also assuming that Candace Parker was going to be healthy so there's probably that too but considering that Vanderslew has the ball in her hands so much more and Copper and the Shields are so up and down from a scoring standpoint not having Allie Quigley there to space the floor is another thing that's really interesting because they don't have anybody who could really shoot it like crazy like that like Courtney probably is their shooter but again okay now she fits the role of facilitate shoots threes at the highest clip probably on the team and then you factor in that she's got to go get hers and from from a mid-range and from driving standpoints thing like that so it's like I think that the fact that Courtney Vandersloot is so high volume is probably their biggest issue and it's not her fault it's the only thing that's keeping them in games but that's not her that's not her speed per se like that's not if you ask me, what do you want Courtney Vandersloot to do to make my team better? It's not score 28 points against the L.A. Sparks to only lose by three in overtime. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not what I want from her. I, I see seven assists in this game. I say 
I'd rather her have double digit assists and be floating around 17 points in the game because that makes me believe that they had a better chance to win because somebody out of Kalia Copper and Diamond the Shields probably had near 20. And that's a, that's a better formula for a Chicago Sky team to win is when multiple players are in that near 20 range. I mean, the next highest player after this was uh, was Hibbert with 12. That's not good. Like, you see what I'm saying? And I think that's also indicative of the seven assists. Like, normally, if she's up there in the assist totals, somebody else is floating somewhere near 20. So I think that might be the biggest thing. Not her fault, but I think that's, like, a big change for Chicago. And I think it's just interesting that we point out all these issues because we talked about this team before the season as a, a possible title contender especially with Candace Parker and and how she was going to improve with this team on the defensive side as well as the offensive side. And then Carson brought up her first game. I mean, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 blocks, and a steal. That is an impressive stat line for somebody who's making their team debut for her hometown team as well. I think Candace Parker, if she's able to get back sooner rather than later, it might turn the tide. But I think somebody other than Courtney Vanderson is going to have to step up to help this team win some games. Speaking of winning games, I don't think it's as much of an issue for our next team, the Connecticut Sun. Compared to what they did last year in their first five games, surprise is an understatement. But there's something interesting that I noticed in the past couple of games. They've recently moved Brianne January into the starting lineup over Natisha Heideman. Now, Natisha Heideman's been one of the one of the more consistent three-point shooters in the WNBA. Carson, is this a good move? It's an interesting thing because it's 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 tough to knock a team completely that's winning games when they do something that's maybe a little bit against the grain. And <laughs> before I get into the, to that situation, I mean, just the way that John Quill Jones and Duana Bonner have been playing so far, I just I can't get enough of it, especially Jones. It's just a lot of fun to watch. And if there's people out there that are – you know, maybe a little bit more casual WNBA fans or anything like that. Like, watch the Sun Sun game and watch John Quill Jones. Lots of fun to watch. Um, and then Bonner's just been uh, shooting at a really, really nice – both of them have been shooting at a great three-point clip as well. And then that's where Heidemann kind of gets out of the lineup a little bit because we're used to seeing a little bit more efficiency from the three-point line. And this season, she's been struggling for how much she does shoot three. She almost shoots about six threes a game. She's only shooting at about a 34% clip, which isn't terrible, but not what we're used to seeing with her. Um, so then you insert, you know, January in the, the lineup. And I would say the best case scenario that you get from this is that you now get a little bit more, more scoring off the bench. And then you maybe can get some confidence back from Heidemann, um, get a little bit more of a flow. I don't mind it necessarily because January gives you something a little bit different because there is a lot of scoring in that starting lineup. Um, just the three that I talked about with Jones, Bonner, um, and then John Quill Jones. That's a lot of scoring. So I think this actually is a nice fit for how much I do like Heidemann. I like scoring off the bench. Um, January gives you something a little bit different. I know she's not as great of a scorer, um, but I like it for this team. They're winning games. They easily could be eight and one right now too, if it wasn't for um, the Lynx winning a really tight, tightly con- uh, contested game as well. So this is a team that easily could be eight and one. I like the lineup change. It's tough because I like Heidemann, but we're getting a little bit more scoring off the bench. Normally, I didn't think about how the starting lineup is kind of almost 
imbalanced in a way, considering that there's a lot of scoring in the starting lineup and there's not as much coming off the bench. Heidemann does give you that spark that you need coming off the bench. So I, I love the way that you put that. But you also mentioned something very interesting that I'll transition to Jalen on this one. Dewana Bonner and John Quell Jones, this duo has been amazing for Connecticut this season. And to also think that they're they're winning all these games without Alyssa Thomas, who is out for the entire season this year. So, Jalen, I'll just ask you this question, plain and simple. Is this duo of Dewana Bonner and John Quell Jones the best in the league? Murder, bro. It is fair. They are a problem. They are a problem. Because look, look, because look, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it might sound aggressive, but I'm saying that to put. I mean, look, tall front court, six six and six four between the two of them. Extremely, extremely lengthy inside, which I think is like extremely important in terms of just protecting the paint. Because the worst thing that you could do at the WNBA nowadays, I feel like, is give up paint points, considering how many, like, the volume of threes that are going up, like. Or it's like I would say it's slowly starting to transition to becoming kind of like high volume because we we've had some nights <laughs> where it's been a lot more threes than you would expect. So I think that's an interesting thing um, for them, especially for them more specifically. I mean, I'm looking back at this game against the Aces most recently. They shot 17 threes to the Aces five. Like they're trying to get them up, you know what I mean? So that's the most interesting thing about them is they're a bigger team that will still. You, they'll, they'll still launch a few, just those two between themselves, between those two launch six of the 17. Like, they'll hoist it, like, if they really need to. So, I think that, I mean, there's so many routes that you can go. Like, the duo in New York is so crazy with, uh, Benajah Lady and, uh, INSQ. I think that, that duo is nuts. Um, I think with, uh, Natasha Howard, that would have been even crazier too, from a trio standpoint. But we'll get to that later, cause that injury is gonna be kind of, Something worth keeping an eye out on. I okay, so I think it's safe to say right now, easily that they're the best duo in the league. But there's a couple of them behind that. Like, if things kind of get rolling, I mean that that grouping over in Seattle. I think you can arguably take your pick on who the second person is next to Brianna Stewart. I think right now we probably would say Jewel Lloyd confident confidently, but I think that's debatable on a night to night basis sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different routes you can go, but I think the Connecticut Sun got on lock with, uh, with Barner and Jones as of right now. And I brought it up because in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be talking about some top five duos in the WNBA. And I think that this is maybe the most successful duo out of, out of a lot of the duos that we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks, because a lot of offensive success is coming from this combination of John Quill Jones and Dewana Bonner. Dewana Bonner leads the team in scoring. John Quill Jones is in the MVP conversation early in the season, something else we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks. There's just a lot that is going right for the Connecticut Sun. It's just a matter of how they can keep up this momentum throughout the entire season. But moving on to the Dallas Wings, who are 1-4 right now in this point in the season. They're on a four-game losing streak despite winning the first game of the season against the L.A. Sparks in decisive fashion. So, Carson, I'll start with you. Despite having a high-scoring offense, what do you believe is the reason behind this four-game losing streak? I mean, the easy answer to go to right away is is the defense isn't there. You know, um, I, I could say that, but I, I almost want to look into it a little bit more in depth because this Dallas Wings team is really, really talented. And sometimes at the beginning of the season, you just see teams have some misfortune. So right now, 
Um, like you said, they're two and four and their two wins are against the, the Sparks. And so that's not the biggest, you know, hooray in the world. The Sparks are a really struggling team right now. Um, but all of their losses are really close losses against Seattle. They lost by 30 in overtime and then, um, New York nine point loss, Atlanta, uh, six point loss. And then Phoenix is a four point loss. And those are all solid teams, really solid teams. Those are the top of the WMEA. And I think really it's just a little bit more of a misfortune. Yeah. There's some things defensively that I think that they could tighten up a bit, but man, you, you go to their offense and it's, it's ridiculous. They've got about five people in double figures right now um, on the season. Alicia Gray has just been incredible per usual. Um, and then Ogunbowale, too, is just great, too. You know, you've got two people that are going to combine for about, you know, 40, 45 points a night, which is just crazy. So I think right now it's early. It's early. It's tough. A lot of these teams didn't get a full training camp. None of them did. And so I think it's a lot of scoring, a lot of talented people. But um, everything's got to kind of click on all cylinders. So I think that they're they're not a team that I've far from given up for. Already, they've just had a relatively tough schedule. Like I said, Phoenix, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle are their losses right now, and they're all single-digit losses. And then, you know, two wins against the Sparks. Like I said, it's not the biggest whip in the world, but they've handled them pretty easily both times they've played them. So I don't think this is a team, per se, that has a lot of talent but isn't living up to it. I just think they've had some misfortune early in the season. Um, but they're a fun team to watch and lots of scoring at a high clip. So I, I still believe in the Wings team for sure. Yeah, they have two decisive victories, like you mentioned, over the L.A. Sparks. They've kept it close with their four losses. They have a very promising team. I think they were just waiting for a lot of their players to come back as well because Alicia Gray was out early in the season. And they're still waiting on Satu Sabali to come back, who Jalen's a huge fan of. So I'll keep it with Satu Sabali, considering the effect that she had on the Dallas Wings last year. How much of an effect do you think she will have when she returns to the Dallas Wings? Because it seems like her return could be coming sooner rather than later. Um, I mean, bro, like at the end of the day, I think I think it addresses things defensively to a certain extent just because of how active she is. But it gives them another ball handler. It gives them I, I think the other thing that's like mad important is this team is youthful as crap. Like, I think people are sleeping on, like, the OKC Thunder-esque draft that they just had. Like, what in the world? Like, between all the picks that they had within, like, the first two rounds was nuts. And, I mean, we're talking about a team where, like, the number one overall pick in Charlie Collier and the number two pick in Awakuyer barely get on the floor? I mean, Collier starts in theory? Like... Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's listed as a starter. She starts the game quite literally at tip-off, but then plays, like, less than double-digit minutes like most of these games. Um, I honestly have kind of, like, identified it where I actually think that Isabel Harrison has been, like, their most effective big so far this season. Um, that I think that just comes with trust, I think, more than anything, with the fact that they're still trying to integrate their young players in. Uh, Ryan, me and you have been beating the table for a lot of young players to get on the floor um, for most of the season. You know, Dana Evans and uh, Dungy for Dallas have barely been on the floor, for example. Um, we uh, talked very much about R. McDonald earlier on in the season. I think we both realized why she's not playing now, considering that their three guards in the front are 
in the front for a reason. So I think that that kind of takes that. I look at Atlanta's approach, right, and the fact that they are putting faith in their uh, seasoned vets, so to speak, to really kind of carry them through this first portion of the season, considering, like Carson mentioned, there was no training camp. But this team is so young, and I think Satu Sabali, she just gives them so much more experience. Like I said, I think she helps improve them on the, on the offensive and defensive end as a forward who can give you a little bit of everything. Um, I mean, they're already I like. I, she also gives them like a certain level of scrappy that I think they already like fit into. Like I don't know if you guys saw the other day, but like uh, Marina Mabry and like my girl Skylar Diggins kind of gotten a little bit of a mix <laughs> a couple days ago. And um, that's what I want to see from a chippy team in Dallas. Like, that's kind of like the vibes that I want from a team like this because of the fact that I don't want them to play like a tanking squad. You know what I mean? They don't have tank players. Mabry's not a tank player. Arike is not a tank player. I think she's just going to get 25 whether they plan on losing or not. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, that's just how I, that's where I stand on that. So, I mean... This is just an interesting team where I think that if they can get Alicia Gray back, uh, shout out to her over in the three and three on three tournament over for uh, the Olympics. But um, and Satu Sabali as well, who's playing overseas when they come back. They've already got some grit and grind to them. I think those two add a certain little bit of flair to them that I think will also rub off on some of their younger players. And I think that I think that might even be more important than anything that they could show on the floor, actually. Yeah, and Dallas, with a lot of their youth that Jalen and, and Carson have mentioned, given the fact that Chelsea Dungey and Dana Evans haven't played a lot thus far, I think they're almost kind of waiting for the game to come to them, in a sense. And I think that's kind of the the vibe that I'm getting from the rest of the rookies that aren't playing, that aren't getting much playing time as well, outside of uh, Michaela Anyangwere from New York. It's almost like they're waiting to give the rookies a lot of exposure to the WNBA style of play. Maybe that's sort of the the vibe that I'm getting. But I kind of want to get your take on it, Carson, because Indiana's another team that has almost the same issue with Kaiser Godrasic. And they also just released Chelsea Perry not that long ago, their third-round pick. So Jalen and I have kind of talked about this in depth, but... I want to get your opinion on why you believe the rookies are not getting as much playing time as we think they are. Man, um, I, I'd love to hear your guys' point of view, too, because it's it's really interesting because going into this Indiana Fever team, like we just talked about a Dallas Wings team that, in my opinion, it's just a matter of time before they start winning games. But this Indiana Fever team, uh, <laughs> I hate to get negative here on the podcast, but they're just a bad team. It's just the, It's just the way it is. And you know, in the limited time that we have seen Gondrzik, she's looked pretty good. She's looked pretty good. She and she can shoot it for sure. And this league is bred on good shooters. And so the fact that we get some limited time from from her is is really weird. She's getting like eleven minutes a game, and um, being a shooter, you have to be out there in order to get a flow. You do. And so seeing her not play much is, is, is kind of a weird thing. I think it's a mixture, I would say, with this this year being kind of weird with going in from the bubble into this. It's a weird season. Um, and getting a little bit more of that experience, I would say, is maybe some of the reasoning and some of these coach, coaches not doing it. Except for the Fever don't really have an excuse in my eyes because they're not going to be winning too many games this year. So it's like, let's just throw them in. I'm a huge Nuggets fan as well. And so 
that's the that's a huge debate amongst Nuggets fans. Like, play bull, bull, play bull, bull. And um, you know, he's he's a talented kid that has a lot of untapped potential. But it's like we're winning games without him. Um, there's not really a huge necessity for bull, bull minutes. But not with this Indiana Fever team, you know. Um, I think you got to play the youth and you got to give them experience. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is because you look at you look at the Liberty and heck, they're playing <laughs> they're playing a pretty good rookie and having some nice success. So uh, I don't think there I don't think there's a good enough excuse not to play them. Yeah, and I think for a team like Indiana that only has one win, and we we put Indiana at the bottom of our preseason rankings as well. I feel like they've always been kind of stagnant in their direction. This is a team that Jalen and I both agreed on. They're still looking for an identity, and they're just kind of trying to find their place in the WNBA. And they have some talent. They have Kelsey Mitchell, who was one of the top scorers from last year. She's picking up right where she left off this year. Kaiser Godrasek, I expect her to get more minutes considering what she did at West Virginia last year in college and what she's doing this year carrying her three-point shooting efficiency over from college to the WNBA. So, Jalen, I kind of want to just bring you into the conversation because we we talked on and on about this issue. A lot of rookies aren't getting playing time except for Michaela Anyenwere from New York. Jalen, you've kind of mentioned your point a lot on this podcast, but just kind of remind us, like, what was the main driving point that you believe was behind the lack of play from the rookies of this draft class? So, I mean, as a class, I'm going to lean on the lack of training camp. I'm, I, as a class, I think that's the most impactful thing. For Indiana, I've, like I said, I've said it, and Carson only, like, he said it without even knowing that's actually my take, is I just genuinely think that Indiana needs to throw things at the wall and see what, see what sticks. Like, I don't understand. My whole point with Indiana has been what is the deal what is this infatuation with the Mitchell duo in terms of running them in the backcourt by like by themselves and then kind of like insert guard here? But it seems to be everybody but the people they kind of should be putting in. You know what I mean? Like Victoria Vivian's had a very decent game very recently. She she got a bump in minutes recently. Ooh, I don't know if that correlates or not, but so far it seems right. You know what I mean? Um, similar thing with, uh, with Kaiser, one of her better games was, was a double digit minutes game. Like one of those things that we haven't really been able to see very frequently from a lot of the rookies. Like, and the thing with Kaiser that I don't understand the biggest, actually the biggest thing I don't understand about Kaiser in particular is Ryan, we did a WNBA draft reaction episode with Brooks as like our first like actual look at the WNBA landscape, right? And we both, the night that it happened, we were texting like crazy, trying to figure out where the heck Kaiser came from at four. So if you feel as confidently about Kaiser as you do to take her at four, when nobody is thinking Kaiser is going for, right? We had Dana, I think we had Chelsea around there. We had Ari, I think Ari was mocked there if I'm not mistaken, like around four. If you're going to go out on a limb, right, shouldn't you just jump off that cliff? Like, shouldn't you, like, if you're going to go for it, right, like, I feel like you should lean in. So for them to take her fourth and to babysit her or ba- baby step her, to me, 
this is the this is the situation where I feel the most confused about her circumstances. Now, I know they're a guard heavy team. They only have five front court players on their entire roster. So they're not a deep team in the front court, but they got more than enough to show for it in the back court. But if you're going to like with Collier and Couillier, the thing about them is Couillier is coming from a completely different system as far as in terms of spacing her actual role, because we have to remember she was like a like a low key point center overseas, like on a, like on a low key tip. They already were saying that Charlie was mad, like uh, like raw, uh, like raw as a prospect coming in, but the tools were there to make her a number one overall pick. So like it made like it starts to make sense when you look at Dallas. But again, with Indiana, you go on a swing for Kaiser at four, and you're not playing her. It doesn't make sense. We shouldn't get eight games into the season, and her like season high in minutes is like sixteen. Like I don't, I don't get that. Like that's my bigger thing with them. It's, it's a it, Indiana like boggles my mind with it more than like a lot of these other teams do actually. And I think we were both under the impression that Kaiser was not in our top twelve when we did our own mock draft. Like she wasn't even in the second round. She wasn't even in the third round. She came out of nowhere. So it's more interesting to see why she's not playing. Because if you take somebody that high, like Jalen said, if you take somebody that high who wasn't even ranked in the first round, why are you not giving her the respective minutes? Now, Chelsea Perry, who was, like I mentioned, she was waived, she could have been somebody that Indiana could have used to develop younger talent at a position that they needed. They didn't need to draft Kaiser Godrasic because they already had a lot of guard depth. They needed to draft Chelsea Perry because they needed a lot of forward depth. Carson, if you want to retort to any points that Jalen and I have said, feel free. No, you guys are right on the money. It's almost it's funny kind of like almost watching all of our reactions as we talk about this in a sense because it's like it's just a headache. <laughs> it's where's your head at? What are what are you doing with with this squad that has some talent and some youth? Um, where and I think it comes down to the organization, right? It's just it's not all there. There's no identity. Um, they just aren't there. And there's some really solid organizations in the WNBA that have a rich history of drafting well, uh, of developing. And those are the teams that are always in the thick of it every single year. And uh, it's tough to see Indiana not be there this year. Um, but you, you guys were right on the money with everything that you said. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, though, it's just, it's a headache to watch um, and to hear about, too. It's, it's, it's a little bit rough in Indiana right now. It doesn't help when on offense and defense you're struggling. On offense, you only have two games where, as a team, you've scored 80 or more points. And then on defense, the opponents have scored or have shot over 54% from the field against them. And they also lead the league in opponents' points per 100 possessions with 109.4 points. It doesn't help when you're struggling on both sides of the floor. You aren't contending right now with a team like New York or Connecticut. So I feel like it's only fair to start playing these younger players more, to sign some of these younger players, and to play them even more right now. But moving on to the Las Vegas Aces, because... This is definitely a contending team for sure. Made the finals last year. They did it without Liz Cambridge. They did it without Kelsey Plum. 
They have Liz Cambridge back this season. They also are getting Kelsey Plum back, who missed some time because of a Team USA commitment. On one of the best offenses in the league, Carson, I'm going to start with you. How much more dangerous does this team become with Kelsey Plum coming back? Yeah, I'm really excited that I got I got the number one the Kelsey Plum question, and then the fact that you know we're tackling, of course, the Aces too because this is a fun team. This is a really fun team between Cambridge, just the way that she's been. Um, honestly, just I mean, obviously there was some stuff going on with the Sun Coach and everything like that. She's kind of been putting the light in more of a negative way as far as like in the past week or two. Um, just kind of with like those weight comments and stuff, but just even in the past summer or so, she's really been um, getting a lot of uh, attention on social media and stuff. And speaking of her weight too, she's cut weight. She's probably in the best shape of her life. Um, she just had a huge game last night too. Uh, really dominating game. I think she finished with like 28, and, like four blocks. She just looked incredible. Um, and so you've got this team right now that I think it's actually a good situation in which Kelsey Plum isn't there right now. I know that sounds weird to say because whatever, but they're figuring out how to play without Kelsey. And then by the time that she gets back, they're just going to be that much better. They obviously last lost last night, but I think it's really good for, for Liz to learn how to become dominant. I don't think she's ever really like had that where it's like, give me the rock and just get out of the way. I think she's always like kind of took a step back. And so I think right now they need some extra help scoring, scoring the ball without Plum in there. And uh, Wilson's always taken a brunt of a lot of those responsibilities. But now Kimbeige can kind of go in there while Plum is gone and do exactly what she did last night. But then that brings me to the point of Plum coming back now. Um, She's looked the best that she ever has post-injury, in my opinion. Scoring-wise, this season, she's averaging a little over 10 a game. She's never been a huge scorer. She's more of a pass-first guard. But her three-point shot looks great. Um, we all know Plum. She's always been fundamentally great and has a great IQ. Um, and then I think this three-on-three tournament really actually helps her confidence, too, because they go in there and they absolutely crush the competition. And uh, I think her, her confidence is on all-time high. She's really, really um, reformed her body. I think, like I was talking about, Cambay, she's also probably in the best shape of her life, too. And... Um, I really like this team when Plum comes back. I think they're when in Plum's first two games that she played with Aces. I think she split games. She I think they won one, 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 lost one. Um, they still have a winning record without her. And I think by the time she comes back, this team is another title contender. By the time they come back, I mean the fact that they were competing in the in the Wubble last year and uh, this year they're they're going to do the same. They've got the depth. Um, they've got the scoring, and I'll be interested to see if Plum gets in the starting lineup or not because she is that good. I know they've been flirting with her coming off the bench right now. Um, she's obviously a starter in this league, but she's looked pretty good coming off the bench. Before that that loss that they had to the Connecticut Sun, they dropped back-to-back 100-point performances without her. You brought up a lot of great points. I think it'll be interesting to see what Las Vegas does with her. I think it'll be interesting to see if she comes off the bench because – it could be like with like a situation with Connecticut with Natisha Heidemann. You bring Plum off the bench as that offensive spark that you need. So I think that'll be something interesting to see when she comes back. Jalen Carson also mentioned that Liz Cambridge in the best shape of her life. She didn't play last season. This team went to the finals without her. One of the reasons why this team has been so successful offensively and defensively 
was because of Liz Cambridge. Offensively, she's shooting over 60% from the field. Should we be entering her name into the MVP conversation? Ooh, see, that part is tricky because the list gets long, like, like quick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, per team, like, Connecticut arguably might have two between Bonner and Jones just by themselves. I think Sabrina has her own little, like, way of notching herself in there just because her performances as a total of being somebody who also has been very good at facilitating for um, New York is another thing. But Nigel Laney is like, like, when is she not going to score at least 20? Like, you know what I mean? Like that, it seems like that streak is just going to keep doing its thing. Or, I mean, you know, in the circumstances, um, she's just going to keep killing it from a scoring standpoint. I think as you look around the league, I think if we're talking about like in the top 10, in a conversation like that, then um, I think that's where things like get hazy from like six to ten. I feel like you can put her anywhere between six to ten and you won't be wrong. Um, That top five is weird because like Brianna Stewart is quietly having like a very great season as well for Seattle. And I know that like a lot of the talk is going to be more around their coaching situation right now. But I don't think that that's enough to overshadow the fact that she's had such a good season so far. I'd say she's definitely top 10 in the conversation. Um, it's just I think as the season continues, we'll have a little bit better uh, understanding of that race. But I think Connecticut has two of the spots locked up. I think New York at least has one of them. I think Brianna Stewart has to have one of them. So I think once you get to like five and below, I think Cambridge could have a conversation and uh, have a, uh, an argument in the conversation. I think the scary part that's going to go against her is, A, she has an MVP on her team. B, their team is nuts. Like, I keep, like, looking at the roster for the team. I keep trying to – I'm thinking about a lot of stuff that Carson said in terms of, like, specifically Plum coming back. Like, the interchangeability is nuts because, like, Dierica Hamby just went ballistic, like, a, like a couple days ago, too, like, off the bench. You know what I mean? So, like, when you have Cambridge, when you have Chelsea Gray, who I think probably can alternate between the lead guard and the two guard, honestly, uh, I think Jackie Young has played very well uh, holding down the spot that I think, respectively, I think that would be where Kelsey Plum would be at if she were starting. So I think it would be Young that would come off the bench instead of Gray, but depends on the circumstances. Uh, Bacatri is out. So, like, okay, another cheat code. If you get her back, like, what does that look like? Like, their team is so deep. So I think that's the only thing that might mess, it, mess with uh, Liz's uh, argument. But then again, maybe you can hold that against the Connecticut team, too, because they are ridiculous as well. So I think I think it's open, but I, I would put her at five if I had my, like, ballot. I would put her at five at the highest. Yeah, this MVP list is talented. It's also It's also loaded from start to finish. I mean... Brianna Stewart's in this conversation, somebody that has been always in the MVP conversation. Liz Cambridge, Aja Wilson, the former MVP or the reigning MVP, but Naja Laney, a new name in this conversation that we're going to talk about later. The list goes on and on and on. And I mentioned in a past episode with the with the Las Vegas Aces, they have four potential All Stars on this team, and I think with Chelsea Gray as well. Chelsea Gray's having a pretty good season so far for the Aces as another scoring option to complement Kelsey Plum. I think this backcourt is loaded with talent for the Las Vegas Aces, and Kelsey Plum, whether it's coming off the bench 
or in the starting lineup. She's going to make an impact regardless. Moving on to our next team in the Los Angeles Sparks, and Carson, I want to start with you. When they lost Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray and Raquina Williams, three of your top scorers out the door that quickly, in my opinion, it just seemed very hard to kind of bounce back from that. So, unsurprisingly, they're last in the league in points, and they're second to last in assists. What's the main issue behind the lack of scoring from the L.A. Sparks? It reminds me a little bit of when LeBron kind of left the Cavaliers. You could argue both times. It's it's the sense of rebuilding an entire identity because you mentioned obviously three key players that leave the Sparks, but especially Candace Parker. That doesn't just hurt um, a team. That that hurts you know a city because Candace Parker was synonymous with the Sparks. And so I think that's tough. You have to kind of like rebuild your entire identity. And so I think the lack of scoring, you know, kind of comes, comes from that. I think that they, they aren't as hopeless as, you know, maybe a team like Indiana that we've covered. I think that there is still some talent on their team where they can, you know, maybe win some games, but their losses are some pretty brutal losses too. They just, they just aren't there. And, um, it's tough. And then some of the younger talent too, it's like, <laughs> I think we're kind of starting to figure out maybe that Tia Cooper is a little bit more bark than bite. Um, I just, I, I don't know how, how well she's going to be able to facilitate at this level. Um, but like I said, they've got some talent on their team. I'm excited to see the development, but it's not going to happen this year. It just isn't. It's going to take a little bit longer. And, uh, I'm still excited to see, like I said, um, what the Sparks team can, can do in the future. Um, but uh, they might be relaxing a lot this summer with the Lakers because it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> not going to last much longer. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I, don't put, I don't put too much stock into the squad. Yeah, I don't have a lot of stock in the squad either. And I think when we're looking at this roster from top to bottom, I feel like the needle really moves behind the play of the Oglomike sisters. Now, Chine's out, but Nanike's been carrying a lot of the scoring load for this team, given the fact that, like you mentioned, Tia Cooper has not been as great as we thought she was going to be for this team. Christy Tolliver's been a serviceable point guard as well for this team. Jasmine Walker is out for the season, so we really don't get to see what her fit is on this team or what she looks like on this team. So. I think it's going to remedy in a way with the three newcomers, Amanda Zowie, Nia Coffey, and Erica Wheeler, who have been providing a lot of the scoring help for this team in the past couple of games. So, Jalen, I just want to ask you, out of these three players that I mentioned, uh, Zowie, B, Coffey, and Wheeler, which of these three players do you believe can help turn around the lack of scoring the most, or do you believe all three of them will have an equal impact? I think Zowie B is the X factor because of her versatility and the fact that it hasn't really been exposed yet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think the biggest talk with her moving from New York to L.A. was the fact that she's like this very raw prospect still. Right. That still has all of this like major upside that like is just waiting for a team to be able to touch on it. And that's why it's so interesting. Like, I understand that they ended up addressing the like the center vacancy. Oh, I'm talking about New York in the draft but I think that's the most interesting thing about it because like 
New York moved on from Zowie B, but like in a weird way, like I don't know exactly how much better they got. Like the Natasha Howard thing is the X factor in this. Well, obviously we'll get to that, but like her health is kind of the X factor in this because I see that as a significant upgrade. But like outside of that, like I don't know exactly how much like New York has like really, you know, like addressed that. Um, I don't know, and it's interesting. I think I think L.A. might be a chance to like really litter off the uh, litter off the hook. Um, in terms of that, and like litter off the leash. I mean, in terms of being able to like really be a little experimental. Um, I don't know, man. I think okay. I'm gonna like pose this question, and like we can take it wherever we want to. But like, when are we gonna? And maybe it's weird, but when are we going to stop giving? Derek Fisher coaching jobs for image conscious teams like I just feel like that's kind of like I don't know like I've been thinking about this for like a couple of days honestly because it's kind of been like bugging me because I'm trying to figure out like what's up with that like I don't feel like Derek Fisher is like a let me build this this franchise up with young to developing talent that like you know we're trying to figure out where the pieces fit and like this, that, and the third. And, like, again, this is a – when I say image conscious, okay, Carson touched on the fact that, like, the city savior, so to speak, right, and Candace Parker left in free agency. That's, like, the, the – that's the lead headline if we're talking about their their free agency in terms of who they lost. Yes, Ryan, you mentioned two other players that are significant in terms of their offensive output. But we know what what time it is when we're talking about where the franchise stands within, like, the hearts of fans and where they stand within the WNBA, all like, all around. I think the same thing kind of stands like when we're talking about like D fish with New York, when he was with the Knicks, like this, I mean, that was smack dab in the middle of James Dolan evil, like smack dab in the middle of all of it. You know what I mean? And I just feel like that's tough that like he keeps getting put in these positions to like carry up these like, like image conscious basketball teams. When in reality, I think a team like the Sparks needs some kind of coach that's going to focus on, the Agumake sisters being, you know, spearheads for the team, but in a way also becoming like primary facilitators. Like, I think that's one of the most interesting things about those two is I think they're the most talented. But as twins do, I think they both know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that's most interesting about them, because I think they have some other interesting players on this team. Tolliver is another one that I think is really interesting as a scorer in the backcourt. Uh, Cooper, I think, I think it's just about, about PT for her. I think as she gets more playing time, that's going to be better. They've had her coming off the bench a couple of times. I don't think they've really solidified where they stand in terms of her in the starting lineup because every now and then they've had like Garantis before she got a couple of DMPs starting, but only playing like five minutes and like, there's just a lot of inconsistencies in the lineup. But that goes again to like this idea of like, rather than coming in and knowing you have like, well-established personnel that fish can just throw out and you know they're gonna do what they're gonna do you gotta actually be kind of creative with this team and i don't know if he's the guy for it and i don't think that's his fault because he doesn't control free agency obviously i didn't actually think about the Derek fisher aspect of it because remember he was the coach of the knicks a while back and Correct me if I'm wrong, the Knicks did not win 20 games when he was the coach. 
Yeah. So, Carson, if you want to hop in on this conversation, you can, because I think Derek Fisher as a GM is building this roster in a way that it's rebuilding, but it's almost in this purgatory of can they still compete for a playoff spot? I mean, this team with, with Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, and Raquina Williams was third in the league last year. They don't have any of those players this year. They have the Ogoumike sisters, but they aren't doing enough as a tandem to thread the needle. So where do you stand on Derek Fisher as a GM and how he constructed this roster? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, like I said, I'm a Nuggets fan, so I grew up watching the Nuggets and the Lakers go out of a lot. And since he's retired and whatnot, I mean, I go back and I watch a lot of film and Steve Fish is honestly like a coach's dream for a really heady point guard. He plays great defense. He's one of the most underrated guards of all time, too. Um, he, he knocks down big shots. He um very, very smart in what he does. And I think before he got into coaching, I was interested to see what type of coaches he would become. And now I'm completely over that. It's just like, um I don't I don't think this guy <laughs> I don't think this guy knows how to coach. It's just the way it is. I just don't think – it doesn't matter if he's coaching woman or if he's coaching man. It's just I don't think um, this is going to be a fit. I still will give him an opportunity, obviously, to prove himself. We get more op- uh, of an opportunity because there's less pressure, I would say, in the WNBA rather than NBA. Like, if you don't turn around in a year in the NBA, you're out pretty much. But I think he'll give more of an opportunity, be given more of an opportunity to continue to um, work with this squad. Um, but it hurts me, I guess, because um, just like Jason Kidd, I heard just even this morning, he's kind of in the running for that new Celtics um, vacancy at, at coaching spot. And it's like, did we learn anything with him in Milwaukee? Like, I just, I don't, I, I'm not sure he knows how to coach. Like, just because he was an assistant on a really stacked team doesn't mean he's a good coach. Oh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um the the biggest thing, like I said, it hurts me because these were damn good players, and then they kind of hurt their legacy by doing this. So um, we'll see. I have I have some faith um, because he knows basketball. He knows how to play it. So that's a huge. <laughs> there's a huge difference between that and then grabbing players from like you know free agency and 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 drafts to figure out which players work in the system. So uh, I don't have that much confidence in deep fish. I don't want to say I feel bad for Derek Fisher, but at the same time, like in 2015, he coached a New York Knicks team that lost three of their best players that went on that 2013 playoff run and Tyson Chandler, J.R. Smith, and Amon Shumpert. <laughs> I don't want to say this is like the same thing happening like six years later, but you lost Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker, and Raquina Williams three of your best players and you're no you can say exactly what you're saying right i'm trying to t- i i only pose the question i only pose the question because ryan we had the conversation about the celtics a couple of days ago and we every when we had the panel rolling brooks had called the whole thing he's going gotta go for the coach gotta go for the coach talking about brad stevens might have to get him out there and i'm like look bro we're talking about the dude who makes decisions and that's Danny. Well, guess what? Danny hung, hung his, his sneaks up, his jersey up, his tie up. He's like, done, done. 
So like that, I'm only saying that I'm not trying to get on some hot streak of like getting dudes fired or anything. But at the same time, I just think that there's got to be a point where we're focusing a little bit more on decision makers. And I think that D fish, I look, I thought it was interesting when I first spotted it like that. I, cause I never really thought about it. Right. Like, cause I've only really been paying attention to the WNBA, like very intensely, like since like maybe just barely before the wobble happened. So it's, it hasn't been something that's like been sinking in forever. He's been coaching them since 2018. So like it, you know, it's not like that, you know, ingrained in my brain how he's done. But when I go back and look at the kind of talent he's had, the kind of talent he's lost, like I said, for the deja vu element of that, like that just felt like way too, like, it felt like it hit way too close to home for me in terms of his circumstances. And I'm just like, that comes to pose the question, like, where does he fall in this totem pole of like, I need to point the finger at somebody like I don't want to say he's at the top, but you do got to start kind of questioning that circumstance of like how he fits as a coach in the NBA or in the WNBA. The similarities between that 2015 Knicks team and this L.A. Sparks team are scarily similar. And I think that it may end up with a 10 or 15 win season for the Sparks. I mean, I don't know if this team's going into the playoffs because of the, the lack of scoring ability that they have on this team is going to be their biggest downfall going forward. Moving on to the Minnesota Lynx, who recently just got their first win of the season. An interesting thing happened. They signed Leisha Corendon from the New York Liberty. She was waived by the Liberty, picked up by the Minnesota Lynx. So, Carson, I'll start with you on this one. She was one of the top scorers on that Liberty team last year in the bubble. What role do you think she will have on this team? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy watching her in, her in her first game. She really came out and looked great. And I know in her post-game interview, they were kind of asking her, what, uh, how much of the offense you know, do you know? And she's like, I barely knew anything. And, and you know, their coach on the sideline was just pretty much helping her out. Players were helping her out. And she goes in there, and she really was the X factor of that game. I mean, you could argue that she – I mean, if it wasn't for her, like, .3 seconds being off, she would have hit a half-court shot um, to win the game. And, like, that's crazy that that's her first game. Her role – she's a little bit of an all-around player, so it's tough to say that her, her role entirely. But I think she gives the link links a little bit more shooting. And on top of that, too – uh, she gives them veteran uh, uh, leadership too. Obviously, you have that with Sylvia Fowles as well. But you know, Clarendon gives gives them someone that is a vet. I mean, like I said, I'm a Nuggets fan, and a huge pickup that the Nuggets had this year, almost in the same sense with Clarendon, was Austin Rivers. No one really expected Austin Rivers to come in and play really well. Now he's been like single handedly almost like coming in and helping the Nuggets win games. And I think that's cleared in a little bit too. She's going to do a little bit of everything and she's motivated now too, especially with how well the Liberty team is doing. Um, and I just think that she's going to come and do a little bit of everything. I was happy to see them get their first one of the season because this actually is a relatively talented roster, but they need better in leadership in there because they've got talent like Bridget Carlton, who I think could be really good, but the confidence isn't always there for her. And they use her more as like a defender when I think she is a really good shooter. And um, I think having better leadership around there is going to be huge for the squad. 
um, to continue to help de- develop that younger um, younger talent. So huge pickup. A lot of teams will be scratching their head by the end of the season. How did the Lynx get her? But I'm glad that the Lynx did get her because she looked great in her first game. It was almost like perfect timing, too, because the Lynx were 0-4 going into this game. And if you needed a win, why not get a win against one of the best teams in the league in the Connecticut Sun? Jalen, I'll just transition to you on this one because this was a huge win. They needed this win. And like Carson said, Clarendon was the X factor in that game. She really boosted the offense up in that game and maybe going forward. So do you think that this was the win that they needed to turn around their season? I think we'll look back at it as one of the big stamps for their year overall, not just because it'll be one of their better wins, but because I think it told them something about their talent in terms of like who they have on the floor now and where they can go moving forward. Like we have to remember, like not only like were they 0-4 coming in this game, but like Nafisa Collier and Ariel Powers did like a tag in tag out thing, like where they decided to like switch places in terms of being on the floor. Cause like now Powers is out when Nafisa Collier was the one that we were waiting on this entire time. And Powers was kind of part of holding the fort down next to Sylvia Fowles. And now they kind of like switch places because Powers has been out with a left hamstring injury for like the last, I think two games or so. Um, the other thing that kind of kills me with this team is we haven't been able to see Renaya Davis out of Tennessee either, which I think would be like really huge because Ryan, we said it after and kind of before that draft too, low key, that like she provides like this three and D element that like if she gets her three point down, like as a perimeter defender, like she almost seemed like she was supposed to get drafted by Connecticut with like the way she's built as a player. Um, especially defensively in the backcourt. So I think that she's just going to be an interesting drop-in for this team. So I think getting Clarendon, I think um, knowing how interchangeable, like Carson was saying beforehand, in terms of her ability to do a lot on the floor, the interchangeability of Clarendon makes it where her ability to play next to Crystal Dangerfield and Caleb McBride is something that I think they could play with throughout the season. Um, I think the fact that they were able to pull off such a big win with aerial powers out of the lineup as well. And the fact that like Nafisa Collier didn't play like too crazy, like, you know, four, 12 from the field, three of seven from three. Like it wasn't tear. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't like great for somebody that we know is like an all-star caliber forward. So I think that there's like a sky is the limit kind of thing with this team. And we've kind of been saying that the whole time, like we've always felt like they just needed to get healthy to like really match where we thought they were going to be coming into the season. Carson, if you didn't like hear, uh, if you didn't listen to our power rankings episode, uh, our preseason power ranking episode, I had them at three coming into the year. And that was just merely out of the fact that Sylvia Fowles, Collier, Caleb McBride, this is pre Clarendon, obviously, but Ariel Powers, not injured. Renaya Davis, I thought was a, like a sneaky good, draft pickup for them for what they needed in the backcourt from a defensive standpoint so I just thought that everything kind of lined up where it was like okay boom next step and then they kind of came in the year like not only injured but like kind of confused and like that was kind of I think I think the injury like the injury situation also kind of threw them off um another thing that I just think like needs to be taken into consideration is again we're talking about the schedule playing against you you got the Mercury, New York, and Seattle twice. Like, 
Sometimes, sometimes that those ping pong balls don't fall in your favor, as most of us know, in terms of like the NBA draft and stuff. This is a similar circumstance where their start to the year being an injured team, it didn't favor them very well. So I think this is a game that I think will help in turning their season around. I just don't know how much weight it'll have in the long term scheme of things outside of telling us that this team can only get better as they get more healthy. And I think that's the big thing with a lot of these teams, but more especially with Minnesota, because they have a lot of talent on this team. And Jalen, you were high on them before the season started. I had my doubts because I wasn't sure how this team was going to compete against teams like New York and teams like Seattle and teams like Las Vegas. Now, I think that this was the win that they needed to turn around their season. They face the Atlanta Dream on Friday, June 4th. So I think that's going to be another game that we'll kind of find out where or how, how they sort of bounce back from this win and how they play against another great team in the Atlanta Dream. But moving on to the New York Liberty, this was a team that we've been waiting to talk about the entire episode. This team is talented, very talented. But Naja Laney and Michaela Anyenwere have been great this season for New York. I mentioned uh, the possibility of both players winning their respective awards. I think Benaja Laney has a chance to win the MVP. Michaela Anyenwere early on in the season is making a case for Rookie of the Year, and she may end up running away with that award. Carson, I just want to get your perspective on this. Should we be having these conversations for Laney and Anyenwere for their MVP and their Rookie of the Year awards? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's deserved right now. I think they've both come out of the gates and just been <laughs> just been great. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the rookies as far as the other rookies in this class, how there hasn't been much playing time. It's really sad if like you ever go to the like I've done it in these past few weeks, looking at the rookie power rankings, it's it's like Michaela, twenty feet of dirt, and then every other rookie. So, it's just <laughs> they're, it's because they're not playing first off, but at the same time, Miguel was just so much better, and then she's contributing on a winning team, so that really, really helps. Um, I did a post on Michaela about like a day or two ago, and I really said, honestly, I think one of the biggest things for her development that's going to be huge is the fact that Laney's there, too, because Laney knows how to develop her game. She's obviously um, a most improved player player of the year winner and she knows what it's like um, to be in a similar position as Michaela. And I just think that they have similar games too. They're both both solid shooters as well. And the two of them being on the same team, there really couldn't be a better fit um, for the, for the both of them. Um, so I think, I think that those not even necessarily hot takes are validated. They really are validated. They're, incredibly solid um and they're perfect they're a perfect pairing brian sq man they're perfect pairings for her they really complement her game well uh too and uh the rest of the squad too really gives insu a lot to work with as well between natasha howard and then another three-point shooter and sammy whitcomb and then we're yet to see a little bit of rebecca allen getting that lineup she's been a huge piece um for the liberty in some past years even though they haven't been great um, she's another great three-point shooter. So the sky's the limit for this team. I think they'd be even better with Clarendon, though, um, which they might regret, I think, down the line because that would give this team even more depth and better better in leadership. But the sky's the limit for this uh, Liberty team. Yeah, that Clarendon move, 
that's a move that I was a bit skeptical about because she was one of their leading scorers when Sabrina was out with injury. So losing her to the Minnesota Lynx just when the Minnesota Lynx picked up their first win, I think that's a move that, looking back, like Jalen mentioned, I think this is a move that, looking back, they may regret, especially when it comes playoff time, because I think that you already have a lot of scoring on this roster with Laney, with Ionescu, with Sammy Whitcomb, and then Natasha Howard when she comes back. You add Clarendon to this lineup, I mean, it's dangerous with the amount of scoring talent that's on the New York Liberty. But now that she's on the links, she could be making that team a playoff team despite their 0-4 start. Jalen, moving to you on this one, because we mentioned Natasha Howard's injury, how much of an effect has Howard's injury been on the New York Liberty overall? Because they've gotten some solid play at center from Kylie Shook. But what's the overall perspective of Howard's absence? I don't know, man. Like, in all seriousness, like, it's, I think it's one of those things where, like, yeah, I think you could probably say maybe they'd be even more improved, like, defensively. But, like, outside of the one, like, debacle game against D.C., like, they've been pretty good at holding teams. Like, I mean, the lowest they hold them at seven is is, uh, holding opponents with 75 points against the Lynx. Uh, I mean, did numbers on Indiana earlier on in the season. Like, I mean... The highest point total they had outside of D.C. was 85 allowed by um, or 87 allowed by Atlanta. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I think that maybe like she improves them interiorly. But I mean, from a scoring standpoint, there's nothing you're really missing. I think that Shook is um, has taken on the challenge um, well. But I mean, they just get so much well from their guard play. That I don't, I think that having Natasha Howard is one of those like luxury pickups in free agency where like she works the way like, and this is like maybe not talent to talent, but I think she works in a way that's similar to like Golden State when they got Boogie. It wasn't that they got Boogie and Boogie was going to kill. It was that Boogie wasn't going to kill for someone else. You see my thing? Like, that's kind of like where I lean with Natasha Howard is you just took her away from the Seattle storm. Like, that's a big that's a so far. It doesn't look like it. But like, at least defensively, more specifically, that's a big blow to a Seattle team that like leaned on her in terms of being somebody down down low that was able to protect the paint. Good at a good rim defender and everything on the sun. I think that's more so the big thing with acquiring howard more than any kind of productivity um now i think that might have a lot to do with michaela as well um carson is not aware of this but i actually was going to hijack his take anyway because i actually screenshot the same post he's referring to um in my phone so i think that that's the most interesting thing about it really is the fact that regardless of um where Howard has has or hasn't been on the floor I mean she was only available for about a game or two I believe but they've just gotten so much production from other players I think Laney took that that most improved player season and was like yep this is who I am now and like decided that like when she went to New York she was gonna be you know that dude so to speak in terms of next to INSQ and then I think uh, Michaela you know I think Carson put it well in terms of saying, like, 
is this a PT award? Like, is this just like one of those years where is it like where like the rookie or the rookie of the year has more to do with like how much were you on the floor? But I feel like Michaela would have been in the running regardless of some of these other players, like maybe Kaiser or Ari, who like maybe could have like just got the hit the ground running off top. You know, I mean, Atlanta has guards galore. So you would have thought Ari would have probably been getting in the mix, but that's been a little bit slow. I thought Kaiser would have been going, you know, ballistic with the fact that Indiana doesn't have anything to lose. Um, a lot of rookies have been hurt as well. Um, so, I mean, that's something to kind of keep in intact in too. But, like, she just does a lot of things well. So I just felt like on this team specifically with the fact that she also has a distributor like INSQ on the team, that she was going to get hers. Like, she was going to get her touches. Well, nobody was going to turn her into a 20-point-per-game score. And I don't think that's what this team is going to be predicated off, is having three three guards who can give you 20 a night. But I think she does some of, like, the very, like, simple things well that was going to put her in this conversation anyway so it might seem like a gimme award right now but i think she was going to be in this discussion regardless yeah and i think with the potential of michaela onyenwari as another scoring option for the new york liberty i think in hindsight with the success of onyenwari so far the loss of clarenda may not be as bad but at the same time you're losing a top scorer and also a veteran guard in the league who knows how to handle the ball and get you some buckets as well. And like Carson mentioned, she's an all-around player. I think that the loss for Clarendon may go both ways, but I think the other interesting thing will be what does Howard look like when she comes back? Because Jalen and I talked about it. These Kobe-Shack comparisons with Sabrina and Natasha Howard – I kind of need to see a little bit more. I mean, there was a small sample size against Chicago, but I think when she gets back from her MCL strain, I think we'll we'll really see if this is a Kobe Shaq WNBA version. Moving on to the Phoenix Mercury, Diana Taurasi's been out due to injury, so she'll be out for four to six weeks, maybe longer. Carson, I'll start with you on this one because, I mean, a lot of players could be handling or could be taking over a big role with Tarasi being out. So between Griner and Diggins Smith, who takes the bigger role? I mean, that's a good question because honestly, since Tarasi's been out, they both the both of them have had some pretty big games. Um, I might diverge just because of uh, what happened last night, um, because obviously we we look at Griner. And, um, Diggins Smith because they're two incredibly talented players, but kind of this bigger surprise, the past two games, Kia Nurse has just been great. And then she hits that, um, half court buzzer beater to win the game, um, last night. So, you know, it's not going to just be one person that steps up, I'd say. Um, I think seeing someone like Kia step up is, is huge for this squad. Um, but I will, I will say that Griner, um, has a little bit more experience, like probably having to dominate a little bit more, um, especially just because this league, yeah, there's uh, a few pretty incredible centers in this league, but it's not as heavy as the guards in this league. So I think Griner can dominate more, whereas Diggins Smith, everyone's got, kind of got her number every night. There's a lot of solid guards that are going to you know, want to come out and take that responsibility of guarding her. So I would say that Griner has more opportunity to it. And then if you look at probably her, her game log, 
she's already had some really huge games um, since the injury of Tarasi. So I have to go with Griner, but you're also going to see some other player, players step up just like hers. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of the players that have taken over as top scorers on this team, trying to fill the role left by Tarasi. You mentioned Kia Nurse, who hit that half-court buzzer beater. That was amazing. Megan Walker, who stepped up, she was part of that trade with New York that sent Kia Nurse to Phoenix. And then Brianna Turner as well, giving them some scoring production. So, Jalen, I just want to ask, do you believe that the Mercury are in good hands right now without Tarasi? Yeah, but, I mean, that's just because I have a ton of faith in my girl, Scholar Diggins. I think that's just out of the fact that, like, my number one belief is just that this goes back to me watching her back at Notre Dame, and this is how far back I go in terms of, like, women's basketball. The WNBA, I'm getting a little hit, but in terms of women's basketball, this is where things get a little bit more understanding for me, a, a little bit better understanding for me. Scarlett Diggins-Smith has always been better when she's been a primary ball handler. I think that's just been one of those things that's been, like, she's aggressive as a scorer. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I like, I don't have to be very specific about this to anybody. In the game that they that, that everybody is talking about in terms of Kia Nurse hitting the shot of shots to beat Chicago, Scarlett Diggins attempted 18 shots. Kia Nurse was the next person up with 13. Brittany Griner had six. We're talking about Brittany Griner being somebody who we're asking to step up into a bigger role. And we know is going to be required of her on a night-to-night basis if they're going to be, you know, real playoff contenders. She had six shots in 31 minutes. Like, Skylar Diggins-Smith is aggressive as an on-ball scorer. So I think that that's one of those. And mind you, she also still led the team in assists with five assists on the night. So it's not like ball hoggy level, you know, ball handling. But I think the thing is when she plays aggressive, the pe- the players around her feed off of that energy and tend to be very aggressive as well. Um, I think that can kind of read just off the fact that like some of the other players around her were so aggressive on the boards. Griner had, uh, Griner had, uh, seven rebounds. Turner had eight rebounds. Nurse had eight rebounds. Like, I think that like everybody around her plays harder when she plays up. I think when she's off the ball and trying to be technical and trying to be like, yeah, like technically sound, I think that she's an elite basketball player, but I think she, makes me thinking about her on the other side fears her more when she is the problem (laughs) she is the quote-unquote problem diana tarasi was the table setter for this team and got everybody into their spots where being technically sound was your best way to be able to fit next to a player who's going to get you the ball where you want it scott when skylar diggins smith goes and goes gets it it's a completely different ball game in terms of how dangerous she is as a isolation player and as an overall player. So I think my faith is in Skylar Diggins Smith that she can hold things down. Kia Nurse has like been like low key good all year. I think it's just like, you know, the shot helps. I think the fact that Tarasi's out now puts more onus on her to step up within that position. Um, I think Griner has been pretty solid for most of the year. Um, I think this is just going to be her first time in a little while being asked to be a high volume scorer, like in a minute. So I think that that's something that's also kind of important, but I think they're fine, man. I think they're okay. I think the biggest thing is that like, that's a, that's a locker room leader before anything. 
You know what I mean? And a lot of the table setting on the floor is set up by Tarasi, so that kind of has its own little influence. But you got two all-star caliber players still on this team. It's hard to just sit there and look at them and be like, oh, they're done because their point guard's gone, as if like they don't have two or three other players who are going to be serviceable. I think Shea Petty is somebody who's going to get a lot more PT because of this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think they'll work through it. I think they'll be okay. I think it's going to be interesting going forward to see what the players who don't get a lot of playing time are going to do because of Tarasi's absence. Somebody like Megan Walker, who had a big game against the Chicago Sky. Kia Nurse, like we mentioned, hit that big half-court shot against the uh, Chicago Sky. In the past couple games, somebody that stepped up for them is Brianna Turner. But we're also kind of waiting for somebody like Shea Petty, who was huge for the Phoenix Mercury in the bubble, to step up as well. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe this this injury allows for those players to get more playing time and to see them shine on the floor. But moving on next to the Seattle Storm, who just got a new coach because Dan Hughes retired over the weekend. Noel Quinn is taking over. Carson, I'll start with you. Does this affect the Seattle Storm at all, or is this a question that is not as big of a deal as we think it is? I wish I could entirely say that it wasn't a big deal because of how stacked that this roster is. But it would be doing a disservice to Dan Hughes just because he is such a legendary coach in the WNBA. Um, You don't win coach of the year twice in the WNBA and not, you know, end up being this great coach. That's just not because of a player thing. I mean, as of recently, yeah, they've had some really stacked squads, but they're really well coached. And I think the reason that I would say it's probably more or less of a harm than anything um, is because Dan did this really methodically by retiring. Every statement that I read from him or anything like that is like he feels really confident in this team where they're at right now. And, um, you know, I think he puts a lot of confidence in his staff, so much so to hire an assistant um, and a former player of his um, as the new head coach. So I would say that they're in a solid position. They've looked pretty dang good this year, um, I will say. So um, it just it's hard to lose games when you have Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart um, and Joel Lloyd. And, and that's just a few of the lists, but the, their entire roster is just stacked. So I think they'll be fine. It's probably more, it's going to affect more of the things that we can't see as fans. So it's day-to-day practice. It's the way that pre, pre-game talk is, the way that film goes, all that type of stuff. Those are the things that are going to be a little bit of a change because I'm sure Dan, he's been in it so long, probably has a certain way of doing it. Um so there'll be a little bit of that, but as far as the win-loss column, you're not going to see that big of a difference. And we kind of know the effect already of players like Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, and Jewel Lloyd, three great players who have contributed to the team's offensive success. And it seems like whenever the team scores 90-plus, they win games. Jalen, I want to continue this conversation with you because I feel like outside of Brianna Stewart, the go-to options for this team are Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd. Is there another player that has really contributed to the offensive success of this team, or is it just those three? I mean, I don't think it's just those three. I think they're just so deep that you can't point to the next player after those three and say that they're, like, doing a crazy job. Uh, Epiphany Prince, uh, Stephanie Talbot, Candace Dupree, Jordan Canada, they all play double-digit minutes. Like, this team gets, like, as you go down the line – 
this team is like extremely deep. Like if you even think about it, I mean, yes, they won by 15 over Indiana recently. But like if you look at it, we get to the bench. Candace Dupree, 15 points. Magabor, 14 points, uh, 14 minutes. Uh, Prince, 16 minutes. Canada, 15 minutes. Like this is a team that like from a from a roster standpoint, they're so balanced that it seems like they're always in control where you don't have to I think a lot of teams run into this issue where when their star player goes to the bench they run into problems um we see this a lot with the mystics who we're going to close out with um when Tina Charles leaves the floor sometimes I think that's one of those things where you kind of feel it when you don't have that definitive next all-star on the floor um or even just available in terms of uh their case because um they got some situations going on with some of their better players. But, um, they, I mean, Seattle's just so deep that I think that it gets distributed all the way around where you're not going to get – I don't think you're going to get too many like, oh, this player off the bench gave them 15. Another night it was, you know, 12 from somebody specific in closing minutes. Like, I think their closing five is who they want their closing five to be. And I think the three that they lean on the most is the three they would like the ball to be in the hands of the most – um, rather than having to rely on their bench too much, but their bench gives them the enough enough production to be able to spell, keep a lead, and you know keep them in game. So I just think they have a well balanced team where everybody kind of just knows their role, and I think that comes with the championship caliber, like or championship pedigree. I think is a better word I'm trying to use. That's already been pre established with this team, regardless of the coaching staff. I think a lot of the culture is already ingrained. Yeah, and I think Seattle has been the main catalyst for championship success in the WNBA. Just to close out this episode with the Mystics, like Jalen mentioned, I mean, we could point to a lot of issues with the Mystics, but Elena Deladon's absence has been one of the main reasons why this team has been struggling. So, Carson, I want to start with you on this one. She is still recovering from back surgery. How does not having Deladon affect what this team does offensively because they're eighth in points and they're last in assists. I mean, it affects everything. Deladon is obviously one of the WNBA greats. She's actually what got me into the WNBA too when I was in middle school. She's just that good of a player that I think even people that weren't to watch the WNBA would watch it just because her footwork and the way that she operates in game is just mesmerizing. But when you look at some of the pro some of the problems that Washington is going through right now, it's just the lack of depth. A lot of the teams that we've talked about so far that are doing really well as far as record wise in the WNBA, you look at the the roster and the depth chart is just it's glaring. Like we were just talking about Seattle, it's like you've got five players pretty much that you can count on and double fit figures every single night. And with this Mystic squad, it's like Tina Charles and then everyone else. And, like, that's an issue. That's an issue. Like, I guess you could argue, like, Atkins, too. She's been pretty solid this year as well. I don't want to do a disservice to her, but it's just a lot of players that, yeah, maybe have some talent, but they just aren't high-caliber scoring. And so I think the best-case best scenario for, for Washington at this point is continuing to develop Tina Charles into – what she is right now, which is a front runner for MVP with the way that she's scoring. 
And then thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, when Elena Del Done comes back, the combination of those two, pretty much two former MVP winners going at it together is going to be really scary. And so it's tough. They're still going to need some other help too, because right now they just don't have much distribution coming off. I mean, we're not even talking the bench, just within the starting lineup. They don't have much. But even just coming off the bench, they're still going to need more depth. But I'm really excited to see this squad when you've got a healthy Elena Deladone and uh, Tina Charles. Because right now, Charles has been great, don't get me wrong, but um, tough team to watch once once she goes out of the game, like you were saying, Ryan. And I think the other interesting thing, too, is they are getting a lot of these players back from the COVID protocol or injuries or overseas. Like, Emma Meesman's still overseas. She's not going to be back till August. They just got Heinz Allen back. They also just got Weiss back. And now they have Atkins and Tina Charles, who's playing like an MVP candidate. Jalen, how do you kind of feel like, or is there a feeling amongst the Mystics organization that maybe this team needs another star that they can get through possibly a trade deadline with another organization to complement Charles in the meantime while Elena Deladon's out? I mean, I think the biggest thing is that they just need to hold suit right now. I think they have talent already that's viable. I think Atkins has been has played relatively well. I think Natasha Cloud is probably the one that's probably been the most underwhelming most of the season um, out of the backcourt. Emma Mieseman's ability to stretch the floor is something that they leaned on heavily in their title run. That's one of those things that they're missing, and they're going to miss it till August. That's a long time in the season where they're going to have to try to make do. I think Elena Deladon being one of those players that because of the injury she has, we don't have a specific timetable. I feel like I've checked this like every other afternoon and haven't really gotten anything changed besides indefinitely. So that's one of those things that really hurts them is they don't even know how long they have to hold on. I think um, Maisha Hines Allen's return, I think is important because I think her versatility on both sides of the floor is important. I think she can easily be this team's lead rebounder. No problem. I think the other thing is that I think for this team, Tina Charles needs another player in the middle, in the trenches with her, I think, down on um, as, you know, as a front court mate to really be super effective this at this point in time. I think this is one of those circumstances where I think that a player like Heinz Allen's presence alone is going to open up a little bit more for Tina Charles to be effective. And once, like I said, once they get their depth back in its entire entirety, I think that everybody's going to sink into these roles that they weren't, that they're not very sure about right now. <laughs> but when all the talent is aligned, I think they'll fall into a circumstance where everybody will be where they need to be. You won't be asking Ariel Atkins to drop 20 a night. I don't think someone like Natasha Cloud is going to be somebody who you're going to worry about playing 36 minutes, for example, against a Connecticut Sun team that is going to for you know is going to force turnovers is going to play strong defense different things like that. I think Tina Charles won't be asked to drop 30 every night because they know what Elena, Elena Deladon can and I think Elena Deladon back injury uh aside I think might actually still be the better player because of the versatility she has as a as a facilitator more specifically. So I think you throw that in, having the ability to bring someone like Heinz Allen off the bench is something that is is like something they can experiment with. I just think if they get healthy, bro, they're going to be all right. Like I've been trying to say this the whole time without getting like too bold. And like once we get our MVP back, it's over for y'all. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, go that far. But I can go as far as saying I think once this team gets healthy, 
or at least they get all of their talent realigned, I think everybody will fall into the roles that fit best and they'll be fine. But Ryan, I said this after the first week, this team is best when they play inside out. They tried to change their style of play in the first two or three games where they were like hoisting threes like nobody's business. And they kind of fell back into it a little bit in this Connecticut game and it ended up biting them in the butt. Only made nine of their 30. Just saying they did this thing where they fell back in love with shooting the three. I think that they need to realize that their inside presence, even though it's just Charles, Heinz Allen is slowly reintegrating herself. But even though the presence is mainly just being felt by, uh, by having Charles down low playing at an MVP level, this team is best. This team's whole philosophy the last couple of years has been best by them playing inside out with their forwards being the primary ball handlers and focus being the main focuses of the offense. I think they just need to stick with that and they'll be fine. I've said this a lot on our podcast that this team's a championship contender when they're fully healthy. If they're able to get all their players back from injury or overseas or do the COVID protocol, this team's going to be fine. And also the style of play, I think that had a lot to do with signing Alicia Clark, considering that Alicia Clark's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and she's also one of the best defenders in the league coming off of the championship winning team in Seattle. So I think it's really just going to matter of who the next woman up is going to be for this mm-hmm. team. Because in some cases, it's Hines Allen, it's uh, Weiss, it's Cloud. Frankly, it could be anyone, honestly, on this team. So it's just a matter of finding the necessary second option in order for this team to succeed while Deladon's out. But before we go, we want to thank our guest today, Carson Hewley, for joining us to discuss the WNBA with us. Carson, do you have anything to promote? Yeah, man. I mean, I guess if you aren't following the page, it's at WNBA fans only. I love talking hoops, so I'm I'm really transparent there. And then uh, primarily I use uh, Nuggets fans only as well, which uh, any Nuggets fans out there listening – Definitely got to tune in, especially during playoff time. Definitely had a nail biter last night. So posting a lot on there, posting a lot on WMEA fans only. Um, but most importantly, I'm just happy to come on this podcast and, lo- and listen to you guys talk. You are incredibly, incredibly intelligent on the WMBA. It was a lot of fun just to listen to you guys talk, uh, first and foremost. And I can't wait to continue to look at your content and help try and promote it too, because I think a lot of not just WMU fans, but just basketball fans in general need to check you guys out. Um, it's really impressive um, how much you guys know, but then the way that you're able to articulate it as well is really impressive. So kudos to you guys, and it was definitely an honor just to be on the podcast and talk. Appreciate that, bro, for real. And, of course, we'll end up having you guys, uh, having you on a lot more frequently because, honestly, we need as much, yeah. uh, you know, much more insight on the WNBA as possible, and that's one of those things. We were really pressed coming into this season trying to get more um, insight beyond our own because uh, we have been very open with the people listening to us that we are learning as we go. And I think that that's one of those things that it's good. I'm glad that you feel as though that that's showing. But at the same time, we still want to get as much perspective as humanly possible. So you haven't heard Carson's voice for the last time in terms of this, in terms of the HTP for this, for this stuff. And we're going to have him on for some NBA stuff, too, because the Nuggets look solid. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely. Like Carson, thank you again for coming on. This was a fun episode. I mean, first WNBA guest that we've had on this podcast so everybody go check out at W fan or WNBA fans only and transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. 
do you think a fully healthy Mystics team can win the championship this season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.